Okay, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake. I think that's how you say it. That's what Google, that's what Google told me anyway. Which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Well, thank you, Ellie. That was wonderfully read. Thank you so much. Well, we finished this series. Let's. Um, I want to look on um, how God speaks to us through this book. God speaks to us in many ways. I'm sure you've heard, but this is supremely and chiefly through this book. This book, the Bible, was given to our Queen, Her Majesty. On her coronation 60 odd years ago, and the, the, by the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the Free Churches and the moderator of the Church of Scotland, said, We give you this book. This is the most valuable thing that this world affords. And, and we believe that. As a church, we believe that with the Apostle Paul that all scripture is breathed out by God and is, is, it's useful for teaching. For correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness that the man and woman may be equipped for every good work. We believe that. What the Bible says, God says. We believe that. And yet, it would be fair to say, even for some believers, that the Bible is a silent book. It's a dumb book in, in one sense. 
And so I really, this would really be better as a seminar, and I'm going to only, only give half of what I want to say, because it's obviously, as you'll see, it leads to other things. How can we hear God through this book? And that's really what, what we're on about. And I, I thank you, Ellie, for reading that from um, Acts chapter 8. It's a well-known story about, and here's Philip, this evangelist, is preaching in Caesar in, in uh, Samaria, and uh, is in the middle of a revival. It's amazing. And right then, thinks, oh, blow, God tells him to move. <laughs> Go down southwest onto that main road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he is obedient and goes. And he meets this man, this African, who's, who's obviously a seeker after truth. He's a seeker after truth. He's gone to Jerusalem. He's gone to Jerusalem because he, he, he senses that, that this is where God will, could be found. Well, actually, nothing has happened. He hasn't found any, he hasn't got what he wanted. But he has purchased some scrolls, some bits of the Torah, the Old Testament. And as it happens, when um, Philip around is, is in his chariot, and he would have a, he wouldn't do the steer, and he'd have a retinue with him. He's a very influential man. He's not just on his own. But there he is. He's sitting there, or, and he's trying to understand this. And Philip says to him, "What do you read him?" And he shows him, and he says, "Do you understand what you read?" And he said, "How can I understand it unless someone explains it to me?" I mean, just, and what is it, this, this scroll? It's a bit like, you know, I went to St. Petersburg in Russia and went to the great museum, the Hermitage, where uh, it's in the old palace of the Romanovs. It's just a magnificent art gallery. And we all wanted to see one picture, which was the return of the prodigal by Rembrandt. Well, you imagine a black cloth like this has been lowered down. But you lift at one corner... And you just see the sole of a, a, a young man's foot. You see his heel. And think, what is it all about? It's really weird. And, and as it were, Philip's just looking at a sort of a portion. He said, I don't understand it. Or it's like, you know, I go to the National Gallery occasionally. It's free. It's, uh, that's why I go. It's, it's great. But, uh, you know, you, if you get too close to a picture, and you get, you, just to look at the brushwork, it, you know, it looks dark and you can't make any sense of it. And you have to stand back. And somebody uh, has got to take that black cloth off that picture of the prodigal returning to get the whole picture of what Rembrandt's trying to say in this magnificent picture. And this really is what this story is all about. Um, and you see, God loves us so much. The, the, the creator of a hundred billion galaxies has, in his amazing grace, given us this book. There is nothing in Britain or the world to value this book. You cannot give anything in exchange for this. And he loves you so much. He doesn't only do a, an incredible thing for you. He has given an infallible record of what he's done on earth and what he wants you to know. And um, but the other thing is... We can't understand this uh, apart from the, the, the work, the help of God, the Holy Spirit. You can do your A-level, your all GCSE, a degree in scripture of biblical knowledge and still miss it, the point of the Bible. 
Because you do need the Holy Spirit who inspired this book to help you clear your mind, to uh, quiet the tinnitus, the noise of the world, to settle you to, and to open your eyes and your ears to see. The psalmist says, you know, sacrifice and offering, sacrifice and offerings you don't desire, but you have pierced my ears. Now, the word pierce is a terrible translation, in my opinion, because the Hebrew simply means dug. You've dug my ears out. Now, those of you who have wax will know a little bit what he's talking about, but he's not talking about a physical wax. He's saying, you know, I was dumb, I was deaf, I couldn't hear, but you have unblocked my ears. And we do need the Holy Spirit to unblock our ears. And um, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal himself through his word. We need to, and we need to read, as we've said many times, I'm sure, as listeners. We need to read this book as listeners. See, if you read it as the reader, you're in charge. You just shut the book and finish. But if you're listening to somebody, the, the, the speaker's in charge, you see. And you have to listen, to read it as listeners. And um, we have to listen for a voice. Not that you're going to hear an audible voice. You know, we're not just looking for a cheerful thought or, you know, thought for the day or promise for the week. No, no. We have to come to this book as consumers. We come for a relationship. The Bible is between two living people, God and you. See, none of this book, sorry, all of this book, I should say, was spoken before it was written. And then it was written, so it's spoken, written, then you read, and, and then you listen. Neil, in the first talk in this is, you know, talks a little bit about the difference between uh, hearing and listening, in one sense. You can read it, you can... You can read it, you can hear it, and yet not listen. And it's true. You have to come with your ears unblocked. <laughs> that's, that's why it was written. Um, but the first thing we have to do then is we have to come as listeners. Now, you know, we can be very mechanical. I mean, I'm a good little boy. I read my Bible today. You know, I read the Bible every year, cover to cover, and I can tick it. I'm a good lad. I've done my and miss the whole point of it. Just I just get in, just varnish my self righteousness. You know, well, I've done my bit. I've prayed and all that bit. No, no, and I've missed the voice. I've missed hearing God. Now, having said that, it's worth reading anyway, <laughs> and you should do. But the first thing then, so we, we, we need the Holy Spirit. Um, we need uh, to come and ask for him to uh, help us. And, and what he does, first of all, is he gives us understanding. We have to know, what does it mean? What does the Bible mean? And it can't mean something it didn't mean originally. What did it originally mean for the people to whom it was written? That's what we've got to ask. You know, it's like a map. I love maps. Now, in order to understand the map, you've got to understand the legend at the bottom, what that sign means. You've got to understand the scale. How big is it? You've got to understand where's north. North, what's that? You know? You've got to know which way is up it is. You've got to understand the thing if it's going to be a help to you, if it's going to speak to you. 
And um, likewise, the Bible. See, the, none of the Bible was written to you. Not one word was written to you, but it was all written for you. So you have to understand what was it written, what is the context, the historical context, and what is it all about. And we have to read it with understanding, and we have to interpret it correctly. I've had many, many years of people who've had loony interpretations of the Bible. And, um, I mean, people say, you don't believe the Bible literally. Of course I believe it literally. It's a, it's a piece of literature. Now, I don't believe it literalistically, as I'll explain in a minute. But I do believe it's literature. And, uh, you know... And I want to read it in the way it was written. The, the context, the grammar. What does it mean to whom it was written? did not change its meaning. So the next thing we need, we need the Holy Spirit to understand. We need humility. When I became a Christian, I believed about a quarter of the Bible. Now I believe all of it. Um, and, and, you know, we, we ha- like this man, you know. We don't come to it as clever people. Well, he's going, you know, this guy is high up in the political hierarchy in Ethiopia. Chancellor of the Exchequer. He will understand philosophy, maybe. Certainly finance and statistics. No, that's not the way we approach it. We don't come as 21st century smart people. We come as, as people who have uh, come out of darkness. We, we were blind and now we see it, but we're just beginning to see And we live in a dark world that's antagonistic to truth. People love darkness rather than light. And they rubbish the Bible. They take great delight in it. And and God has changed us. And we said, no, no, it's not like that. It's not the Bible is wrong. It was me that was wrong. We start changing. And we pray with the psalmist, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things out of your law. And... uh, and as you do that, it's amazing how God speaks to you. Fresh light comes. The next thing then, so we need the Holy Spirit. We need humility if God's going to speak to us. And we need other people. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip, come up here and sit there and go on, let's do this. You might be able to help me. He's a clever man. He's not a thick guy. You see, I'm sure you must have, it's not just me. You've read the Bible. I mean, I read Ezekiel this morning. You can read the Bible and you don't understand it. Now, you are not thick, right? Because you don't understand it. You just need humility, the Holy Spirit, and other people, right? You're not thick. Don't believe the enemy, right? You need to stick at it a bit. Um... See, people reject the Bible. I don't like it. I don't understand it. Well, it's it's the height of arrogance to, you know, just come in humility and submit to its authority. That's what you've got to do. You've got to submit to its authority. This is the word of God. It's like me. If I go into an operating theater, I'm going to have a triple bypass. Now, they they wheel me in, and I said to the guy, what is that? Well, it's an anesthetic machine. Really? How does it work? What are you using? Thiopentone or olive? What do you, what you use nowadays? How does it work? You know, and how, what's your qualification? And what's, who's this guy? And what's that machine? Well, that's, the circulate, that's going to circulate your blood while we're doing it. You know, do, do you all know about the clotting mechanism? You know, do you, 
Who is he qualified? What about all these women? What do they do? You know, and all these men, what do they do? No, no, you don't do that. Do you submit? If you've any sense, if you want to stay alive, I would <laughs> stay alive and shut up, you know. You see, seriously, though, Paul says it was he, God, who gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. See, every Christian is gifted. Every Christian has a gift, but not all of you are teachers, right? It's no shame, it's just a fact. Um, and we, I mean, even the Old Testament, remember Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they find the Bible and, and Ezra appoints Levites that the people may understand what they read. He appointed a whole class of people, the Levites, to help the people understand. I'm so grateful from day one as a Christ, young Christian in Edinburgh, there were men and women and books who've helped me. I, you know, I, I, none of us of any nous at all would, would be here today were it not for other people. This is an ancient book. It's 2,000 years old. It's not easy. And there's some, it's not meant to understand it on day one. It's a wonderful growing understanding as God speaks to us through his word and reveals things to us. I have a friend, I will go to him in a month's time, well, three weeks, and I will take my questions about Ezekiel because he's an expert on Ezekiel. I say, and I go with a list every month, and I say, come on, please teach me. And if not, I have, a do- I have dozens of books on the subject. You know, because I could easily say, oh, it's rubbish. No, 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 I submit because it's true. And God wants me to see the big picture. God wants to pull down the whole black sheets to, to see the whole picture. All right? And uh, even Peter said, I find Paul difficult, he said. Some bits I find a bit difficult. So if Peter had trouble with Paul, you may have a bit for a while. And, and, um, but how should we read the Bible? Now, I appreciate even to say that sentence, it says sort of terms work. Um, but just a few guidelines, and there are another half dozen I'm not going to give you. But just the basic. First of all, we, we read it. Um, Realize it's God's story. That's what he's saying. That's what he's, first thing you have to realize. It's not about you, it's about him. Uh, and then we have to say, well, what kind of literature is it? What kind of literature is it? And that's how you interpret literature, isn't it? Is it a story, history, a narrative? Is it wisdom literature? Is it a parable? Because there are rules for interpreting parables. Uh, is it poetry? Is it apocalyptic? You know, you look at Revelation or Ezekiel or bits of Daniel and bits of Mark and other bits, and it's a strange way of speaking. See, for four or five, four hundred years, this type of literature called apocalyptic was well known in that culture. I've, I've never been brought up with that stuff. It's strange to me. When a, when a, a number is not a statistic, but a symbol, when a figure, when a, an object is not. A, a realistic figure. It, it, it's well. It's it's a. It's meant to be a figure. See, Jesus is portrayed as a lamb, but he is not a sheep. He's a lamb because it signifies that he's a sacrificial victim. That's how you interpret it. Now there are rules. There are more rules for interpreting that apocalypse. I have lived for sixty years of the most appalling nonsense. 
People have made a fortune selling books from rubbish they've got out of Revelation. And, and they've been proved wrong 30 years later, but we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't get our money back. <laughs> You've got to interpret by certain rules. Now, fortunately, we live in a, an age where these things are spelt out in other cultures, in, in books and stuff. It's like with poetry. Any English teacher will say, how you, this is how you insert poetry. You know, that's the rules. You know, if you, if you look at and you look at the scripture and you say to your, uh, you say to your, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. Well, it's probably, or else, better still, your hair is like a flock of goats. Well, it's there in the Bible. I wouldn't try that one. Or even better one, your eyes are like that, dove's eyes. Or even better one, your belly is like a heap of wheat. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't try that one. But you've got to understand how poetry works. That's all I'm saying. To make sense of it. And, and you've got to see that it's not just a, a, a bunch of aphorisms or moral uh, principles or religious symbols. It's a story. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's not as the modern scholars so called say, well, it's just a show. It's just, it didn't really do it. It's just a. You know, getting people to be generous, provoke this little boy provokes people to be generous. No, it's not that. There's a man on earth who is God, who is supernatural. It's like when the disciples, they, 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 after the resurrection, well, they say, you know, they just had some religious insight. No, it's not that. Jesus Christ rose bodily from the grave. It's about him. That's what this book's about. It's a story. That's what it's about. So you've got, inter- and how do you interpret scripture? Well, that's the first thing. You see it's the story. Secondly, you, in- you interpret um, scripture by scripture. One bit of scripture helps you in- explain another bit, like this bit here. Philip will show him that certain New Testament passages, not written by then, but certain tr- New Testament truths, explain this Old Testament. It's called the analogy of faith, actually, in the books. And that's how it works. The best commentaries on the Bible is the Bible. And, and, and that's how you do it. You, see, you can't understand one verse on its own. You've always to understand the immediate context. How does this verse fit in the big story? There's, always, there's only one meaning to a verse, my friends. There may be a thousand applications, but there's only one meaning. And um, you, see, you have to... <laughs> interpret the Bible like any other book in one sense. Now, I know it's inspired, infallible, and it's the Word of God, but it's still a book. Verbs are verbs, nouns are nouns. There's no such thing as Holy Spirit Greek or Holy Spirit Hebrew. You know, it's, it's written as a book. That's how God's done it. And it's not a lucky dip thing. Ah, we'll get a thought for the day. Wait a minute. You know, stick the bin in. Ah. Now, I have enough funny stories. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you them this morning about, you know, we've all heard the stories. Don't use that. It's not meant for a lucky dip thing. It doesn't work that way. If you do it that way, you deserve what you get. And, um, but you've got to also, the next thing, you've got to put yourself in the situation of the people who are there. In other words, you've got to read it, to use a big word, existentially. I, God says to Abraham, take your son and Isaac and, and to Moriah and, as a sacrifice and... and I mean, you've got to put yourself in that situation. You've got to start sweating for him and think, what's it going on? And you've got to think that way, you know? 
What's going on? And try and feel the heat and the smell and the atmosphere. What as a father, you know? You've got to put yourself in the situation. You don't stand over the Bible as a critic or as a, a spectator. No, you enter into it. And, um, but I don't like this bit. There's a lot of bits I don't like. But I've got to change. You know, when you become a Christian, this is a very obvious thing. You have to change your thinking, right? And it, over, the, over the next 50 years, if the Lord doesn't come, you have to change, you'll have to change your thinking a lot. Even as Christians, we realize we didn't understand it. We have new light and insight. God breaks new things. God speaks to us again in new ways. And we're constantly learning. Light pours in. And we seek to interpret the, the, the narrative parts by the teaching bits. You know, you look at the cross. Well, there are a lot in the, in the Gospels to explain the cross. But sometimes you think, what is it about? It stands boldly there. But then Paul and Peter and the writer of Hebrews, they come, let me tell you what it means. And, and they give us interpretation of what it means. And um, you, so you interpret, as were the obscure bits of the Bible by the clear bits. And you pay a close attention to every word. Every word is given by God. We believe in plenary, full interpretation. God so loved you that he guided the hearts and minds of the writers to put it in. Now, I'm not saying that it, it didn't deal with them like typewriters. They used their personalities and all the rest of it. But it, the truth is so important that God guarded it. For that it might go down the generations. Totally trustworthy. We're talking about your eternal destiny. Therefore, God so loved you that he's kept it pure and clean and trustworthy. Right? And uh, you see, he says, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a lamb, before it shears his dumb, so it not his mouth. Tell me, he says. Please, he says. Who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. God the Son comes and becomes one of us. His nature joins with human nature. He is sinless. He's the spotless Lamb of God. And that's what this... 53rd chapter of Isaiah is about. They didn't have chapters in those days. And uh, what the Ethiopian doesn't get, why was he silent? I wouldn't have been silent. Why didn't he get his, you know, fist something? Why did he not fight freedom? Why was he a man of sorrows? You know, he came from heaven because the problem was so great for every human being and for this world that only God could resolve this problem. God became a man because the problem was so dire and so important. And, uh, but he says nothing. He has power over demons, over sickness and death, and yet he, he is silent. He is despised and rejected by men. And he becomes one who on the cross says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is going on? Well, you have to listen to the cross. Listen to what he's saying. It's interesting, the writer of Hebrews says, he says, the sprinkled blood, that's the blood of Christ, that speaks a better word, a better word than that of Abel. You remember in the Old Testament, Abel's blood was lying for revenge and judgment, but this speaks a better word. 
The cross speaks of grace, a better word, a word of, of grace. Oh, it shows us that we are sinful and that, you know, we could do this to God. God would come, the perfect man, and we would smash him to the cross. And we were responsible. We were all the same. We would have bellowed for his blood, this rebel Israelite, this upstart from Galilee. We would have been the same. Oh, yeah, but he comes. He comes for us. And it speaks of better word. It speaks of forgiveness. It speaks of hope. It speaks of power. It speaks of, you know, a new life. Speaks of that we can become children, sons of God, and it speaks and speaks and speaks. That's why He came to deal with our guilt and our lostness and our shame and our meanlessness and our depravity. He came to do many more things because we've broken His law. It's so serious. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him. The iniquity was all, all laid on him. Wow. Goodness me. Do you understand what you're read what you are reading? And he pulls the cloth down. It's all about him. It's not just a foot. It's a father who runs for his son. It's not just a foot of a sinner. No, it's a big picture. See the big picture it's saying. Pull the cloth back. It's a great plan of redemption. I mean, the sad thing is about this Ethiopian that he would never get into the temple. If you're castrated or mutilated, the you know you were never allowed in the temple. You might have stood props outside the court of Gentiles, but they wouldn't. Let you. you were a, a less than a man. There's no way you could be part of the people of God. No way. And he, he would find that out. But I imagine that. Philip says, have you, how many scrolls have you got? Well, I've got a few. Have you, just read on, read on. Read on. Let, from 53, just read chapter, let's assume there are chapters. Read 56. 56, verse 4. This is what the Lord God says. To the eunuch who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, who hold fast to my covenant, to them, when this Messiah has come, after what he's done, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, Yad Vashem, better than sons of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. African Ethiopian, are you listening? Are you listening? What of Jesus? This lamp to you. And you will not be cut off. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him and all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, those I will bring into my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Wow. Did you see that? Yeah. Yes, you, castrated man. You'll never have a family. You're a dry tree. But actually, no, you'll be adopted in the family of God. You'll be in the glorious, wonderful family of the people of God because of what this man did on the cross. Do you get it? He says, do you get it? Yeah. That's amazing. Do you think God's speaking to the Ethiopian through this verse? I think, goodness, are you sure it's there? Yeah, it's there. It's all because the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, we must close. God has given us his word. 
And we have to read his word every day. Every day. I've read, I had my porridge this morning, but I had the word. Because man, as Neil reminded us the first session in this series, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And we have to sit and listen. You know? As Neil said, you know, you sit down with, like, say, Mark's gospel. And you, you, well, it's boring in the Bible. Well, I would say if it's boring, you, A, you need to get saved. I, you know, my wife, bless her, her of blessed memory, she, um, we used to write these letters to each other. She, she was in London, I was in Edinburgh. We got hundreds, hundreds. I used to read them back, front, sideways. Isn't it boring? Boring? Fantastic. Fantastic. Even the hieroglyphics were fantastic. I go, because she loves me. I read this book every morning because he loves me. He loves me. And, and I read it and I ask him to speak to me. It's like you South Africans, you know? You get the biltong. You get a biltong with ghastly dried meat. But you start chewing it and it gets really good, doesn't it? And the juice comes out, it feels great, doesn't it? And it's very expensive in South Africa as well. Because it's, the taste comes. And it's the word of God. As you chew it and chew it in Psalm 1, you meditate on the word of God. You chew it and chew it. And God speaks. I'll tell you what does work. This will change your life. Get a, a scripture, a text you know. Somebody told me this. A text you know. Half an hour. And write 30 things about that text. Don't, not less than th- half an hour, not less than 30 things. If you get up to 60, you'll never be the same again. You'll realize that this is the word of God. It just And there are ways of doing it, I know that, but just let it speak to you. Let it speak to you. And listen for his voice. And he speaks, he speaks and listens for new life, says Wesley. The dead receive. And it's true, he speaks to broken hearts. He, he speaks a better word. But we have to give him chance. Don't shut the Bible. Don't, you know, don't let dust accumulate on the Bible every day. Feed on it. The Revelation says, blessed. The one to be congratulated is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what it's written. He loves you so much. He's given you this book and he longs to speak to you. And all the people said, Amen.